Stop smoking. You might as well ask me to stop breathing. Well, you have that wrong as a software to continue smoking is to stop breathing. That's a very interesting play on words, Mr. Brooks. You men of the cloth sure have a way with words. How old do you think I am? <clears throat> oh, 42? I'm 42. Look, I'm, I'm going to confess something to you. I tip them. Mr. Brooks, I mean, I drink. I mean, I drink all the time. The thing is, I can't stop drinking. See? That's just the thing about me. I can't stop drinking. If you can understand that, you can also understand that my drinking is directly connected to my smoke. No, when I say directly, I mean there's a thing, a, a physical thing. The booze bone is connected to the smoke bone. And the smoke bone is connected to the head bone. And that's the word of the Lord. Re-re-reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhood Podcast. Greetings, starfighters, chain smokers, and esteemed members of the Christopher Mott Society. This is Ruined Childhoods, and we are wrapping up America's I-States on our cinematic road trip. On this episode, we are in the Hawkeye State, and the origins of that nickname are questionable. Some accounts say that it's for Chief Black Hawk and a man named Stephen Sumner Phelps, who was nicknamed Hawkeye. Others believe that it comes from James Fenimore Cooper's novel, The Last of the Mohicans, later repopularized by the Daniel Day-Lewis movie of the same name. And while we're talking about actors, the Hawkeye State is the birthplace of Tom Arnold, Cloris Leachman, and one of my favorite on-screen dirtbags, John Getz. And if you're dying to know what this state's bird is, it's none other than the eastern goldfinch. That's right, this week we are in Iowa, but more importantly, our movie of the week is 1971's Cold Turkey, directed by the late, great Norman Lear, who passed away December 5th, 2023. Dan, what's your favorite Norman Lear show? All in the family. I mean, uh, there's a slight hard agree. Hard agree. Is that is that your favorite? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it took me a moment to just to think, just briefly, because I had to run through the list in my head. Because we have All in the Family, we have Maud, mm-hmm. we have Sanford and Sons, Maud. One Day at a Time, The Jeffersons, Good Times, and a lot of these shows also like took place in the same. Like Norman Lear invented the like cinematic universe, quote unquote, because it was all on TV. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to say he invented it, but he certainly was doing it long before we had like these. Although I guess for a long time you had like crossovers between TV shows. Like I remember in the 80s, like Family Matters and Full House would cross over. Well, well, also you would have the the Gary Marshall televisual universe. Yes. Which I is don't its know. kind of cousin, I guess. And the, I the think... happy days, Laverne and Shirley, Mark and Mindy world. Yes, which were all connected. Yes, uh, all right. kind of sprung from from happy days. But anyway, but Norman Lear, uh, All in the Family is, yeah, I I feel like that's the masterpiece. It's the, I mean, yeah. we, of course, it's Norman the prototype. Yeah, and none of all of these shows were loaded with social commentary and were mm-hmm. groundbreakers from, uh, you know, f- from shows like the Jefferson and Maud, which, uh, I think featured, uh, the, the first like character to get an abortion on TV. I think right. Maud was, uh, yeah. played by, by B Arthur. And of course, uh, I think Maud was initially a character on all in the family or she was somehow connected. Right. So, because I remember seeing interplay between Archie Bunker and Maude. 
because how do you yeah. forget B. Arthur and uh, Carol O'Connor having uh, a back and forth? So yeah, and and Maud and Maud who was uh, I mean modeled after Norman Lear's then wife Frances, uh, who was a you know gold star feminist. Uh, she was the the pioneer behind what what was called Lear Magazine, which was a feminist magazine. And uh, yeah, so I, th- I feel like we have um, Norman Lear and Francis at the time Lear. I believe that she goes or she started going by a different name after that. She passed away. Um, I believe she. Nope. Yes. No, no, no. She passed away in the 90s. And uh, yeah, Francis Loeb. And so, yeah, she was a she was the she was Maud, essentially. Mm-hmm. OK. All right. Um, and then apparently his par- uh Archie and Edith were very similar to his parents. Uh, mm-hmm. And I feel I always felt like I always saw a little bit of our grandparents in Archie and Edith. On our our father's side, Mel and Dan Charlotte, our brothers. Yes, yeah. I you know I feel like our grandmother you know resembled Jean Stapleton a little bit. I you know well, she uh, had. I kind don't of, know. Not in the not in the respect of like where Edith was sometimes a couple of steps behind. Uh, no, no, no. I just mean like physically, like visually. You know, there was a similar vibe. Between the two. And there was like, yeah, the vibe, the vibe, exactly, uh, between the between the two of them. So that was always, it, it was, and it was something that I think helped, like, connect me to those characters. And I knew that, like, no matter how much of a dick he was, like, they were, they, he really loved her and they really had a a, a love and, like, a, a true relationship. And I, I like, right, I feel like some right. of that understanding was, like, based in, like, knowing our, our grandparents who were kind of that, like, similar, you know. Yeah, they, they, they one's were. A, one's were a bit kooky, of a crank. They, <laughs> yeah, they had a, uh, a rapport for sure yes. between the two of them. Uh, that be but there was. But there was, but there was love between the two, and yeah. uh, you know, and um, both have uh, since passed away. Uh, you know, our grandmother only just a little over a year ago, but our grandfather, what, twenty years ago, something uh, 20, like that, maybe 20, more, almost twenty, twenty, almost twenty three years ago. Yeah, I was thinking is probably yeah. around two thousand two thousand one, two thousand one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't see. I don't think that I ever really got to know him well enough to see uh much of an archie bunkerness to him aside from the fact that you know he enjoyed uh sitting down <laughs> I, don't, I don't know uh, he enjoyed sitting yeah. down i i think he was also like also grew up in the bronx or, or sure. archie was mm-hmm. archie li- like i think grew up in queens but it's that same okay. and, and yeah yeah early 20th century New York, like attitude and accent, and and you know, like yeah. like he would say things like "mind your p's and q's." I heard him say that. I'm Our grandfather, sure I not say that. Archie Bunker, but right. I mean, I yeah, only I say feel it like Archie Bunker would have uh, <laughs> uh, Archie Bunker would have more colorful uh, well, words to say. I mean, to mean, the same thing. Our grandfather certainly had his version of some of the of some of the colorful language. There were certain Yiddish words that. Sure, but you're not going to hear Archie Bunker say Yiddish words. Uh, <laughs> different, different demographic there. Not knowingly though, Archie Bunker would be the type to use a Yiddish word that he didn't realize was a Yiddish word. And had he known, he wouldn't have used it. Right, and I'm sure oh. it would be a plot point where he finds out from like Sammy Davis Jr. that he's using yeah, a yeah, Yiddish yeah. word. Yeah. Anyway, Norman Lear was a fucking genius. <laughs> Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, we don't need to be the ones to eulogize the, that, the great Norman Lear. Uh, we actually decided to cover the movie Cold Turkey before he passed away. And it was in, it was days later yeah. after we recorded that uh, the news broke. After we decided Dan, to, to record this. Yeah. Yeah. After and we Dan, decided, let me tell yeah. you. I am uh, just refreshing my, my the Google News page for Dick Van Dyke uh, to just because I hey 
just yeah. turned 98 years old a week ago. John, I'm doing and, the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, talk about another legend, Dick Van Dyke, just Dick Van Dyke, just absolute television and film hero. Oh, yeah. Uh, just one of the most delightful people to walk the planet ever. Um, constantly dance, dance the planet, still like. singing and dancing and playing music and doing barbershop harmonies with people and absolutely uh, incredible uh, track record there and um, happy belated birthday by just a few days Dick Van Dyke I mean 98. Yeah, somebody who really just seems to and I don't profess to know much about him but just from everything you can tell about him this is a guy who really it like just it, it takes advantage of everything he has and enjoys life to its fullest and to like yeah. like for as long as he can. So like bless you Dick Van Dyke and may you keep yeah. on dancing. Yes. And also, you know, Gene Stapleton from All in the Family also in our movie this week uh who is just hilarious. In this movie Cold Turkey was a reason why All in the Family got greenlit. I think that he was, Norman Lear was like pitching it around and they like weren't solid on it. And then while he was making Cold Turkey, I don't know if they, the network saw a cut or something and just started to really rally behind him. And the success then of All in the Family just overshadowed the release of this film as being Norman Lear's, you know, I mean, he he had been around, but and this was actually his only movie that he directed. But it certainly, this could Cold Turkey could have been the start of a long film career for him. But right. because All in the Family took off the way that it did, uh, you know, this ended up just being his his only film. Well, and this didn't necessarily. I mean, it, it's arguable that I mean, on the, the on the family might have it, it. It wasn't successful. It didn't get great reviews. It got, yeah. you know, mediocre. It was ahead of its time. It was very much ahead of its time. I watch it now and I see its echoes in so many of the other satirical films that I love that came after it from films like Network, which comes, you know, just uh, four years later mm -hmm. to uh, Spike Lee's Bamboozled and Jojo Rabbit. And like, just, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of satire and I, I, well, I really I appreciate, mean, I feel like taking the risks that Norman Lear does and just like really not pulling the punches and not holding back and just being really blunt and obvious I think you sacrifice something when you do that, but I I admire that. I like that risk taking. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Don't hold back. Like, really, like go for, like one of the techniques of satire is exaggeration, and yeah. I'm like, yes, please go in that direction. And and I I I I really loved watching this movie. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I don't think it's perfect, and um. Oh, full disclosure, everybody, if any of my words sound slurred, it's the lower left-hand corner of my mouth is numb from some dental work earlier today. I'm expecting to regain feeling, uh, possibly at some point you during this recording. You sound fine, Dan. You sound fine. Oh, well, oh I do it. not feel. I'm like, I, I, I feel it, and I just wanted to. Well, I'll let you take yeah. a quick break from talking because I just want to uh, reflect also on the the lasting legacy and the mark that this could have left on, you know, future creators, uh, notably a co-star of All in the Family, Rob Reiner, who, of course, you know, has just become like this complete juggernaut in uh, uh, all genres of film, really, comedy, horror, you name it, and uh, fantasy, everything. Courtroom and, drama. Um, court everything. Rob what, Reiner does like it all. <laughs> Castle Rock Entertainment. Yeah. And... Uh, I think that the the influence that Norman Lear had on him was is very present. I mean, it's not like Carl Reiner, or not Carl Reiner. It's not like Rob Reiner was in need of inspiration from an outside source because he had his father Carl Reiner. Right. And uh and, and um as I 
you know, learned in the the new documentary about Albert Brooks that Carl Reiner made with him, that the two of them grew up together. That Rob Reiner made, made with him. Rob Reiner made with him, correct. <laughs> and that Carl Reiner, and that Carl Reiner on The Tonight Show even said that the funniest person that he's ever met was a, a young teenager named Albert then Einstein. Einstein, right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so... You know, Rob Reiner was just surrounded by brilliant people. You yeah. know, of course, his father, Mel Brooks, everybody. Yeah. And um, but Norman Lear also should be among those top names of influences on him. And of course, the influence I'm sure that Rob Reiner has had on other filmmakers. I mean, certainly, um, well, Rob Reiner and Albert Brooks both pioneering the mockumentary with Correct. real yeah. life and this is Spinal Tap. Um, then of course going on and uh, sprouting all of the other like Christopher Guest movies and, uh, you know, I mean, pop TV star. shows, The Office, yeah. like, oh, TV. Yeah. All mockumentaries. Like they, yeah. they come from there. That's their Genesis. It's amazing. Oh, abs- absolutely. So, yeah. And people yeah. just keep, you know, kind of like, you know, adding new, new twists to the genre. I love it. Oh yeah. No, thank you. I mockumentarians. I support your work. Oh, we salute you too. So why don't I give a little synopsis? Because I don't think that this is one that most people would have seen. It came out in 1971, as you said, to little fanfare and poor critical reception. So uh, you ready? Let's go. A smarmy marketing executive at a tobacco company has the idea to offer $25 million of the company's dollars to any town in the U.S. that's able to quit smoking for one month. This catches the attention of a struggling Iowa town's reverend and its council members, realizing how much of an impact that amount of money would make. The problem? The town of Eagle Rock, Iowa, loves to smoke. That makes convincing them all to pledge a smoke-free month quite challenging, even bringing Reverend Clayton back to smoking himself. But once the town commits to ditching tobacco, it's a 30-day struggle to keep a clear mind and resist temptation, despite the marketing executive's constant efforts to get the citizens to light up. So Reverend Clayton Brooks is played by Dick Van Dyke. Bob Newhart is so good as uh, Merwin Wren, who is the marketing executive. Oh, I also talk about television legends. Yeah. Bob Newhart. You don't even need to say anymore. Yeah, you you got you got a ton of them. Yeah, and you have another uh, Newhart show uh, regular in the cast, Tom Poston. Right, Tom Poston, who is uh, Edgar Stopworth. Uh, we've also got Bob and Ray, the comedy duo. Uh, you know, of course, Bob Elliott is Chris Elliott's father, and Bob and Ray had this. Um, they were, you know, they did a lot of like radio. Uh, you know, comedy routines and everything. Mm-hmm. And the two of them were so perfectly utilized in this movie. Oh. They were, they, each of them played several different uh, television newscasters and all of their names <laughs> were lampooning television newscasters of the time. I think that the most famous being their Walter Cronkite, Walter Cronkite analog, Walter Chronic. Yes. Uh, which, which was um, Ray, Ray Golding. And I I loved it. I thought that they also were, you know, it didn't take you out of it when it was just like, oh, it's the same guy. No. But just doing a different character. No, not at all. Because, well, also because they're already playing like, it's obvious parodies of these people. And I love, uh, one of my favorite moments in the film is the reveal of Walter Cronick in the, in the, like, in the hospital, in the operating room. Oh, yeah. When they pull back the curtains and there's the light behind him that gives him a halo. Because, of course, Walter mm-hmm. Cronkite was, like, the most trusted man in America. That was, like, sure. his nickname, the most trusted man in America. Mm-hmm. And, like, seeing him tributed and lampooned in one fell swoop, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think, I'm like, why? how did this not, like, you know, play to more people? Uh, anyway, I, I have, I, I have other commentary on like the kind of humor yeah. of the film, but well, I'll get to it later. Cause we're talking about well, this sure. fantastic cast. Yeah. And, uh, certainly there's more to add, uh, Paul Benedict, who's the kind of person who you would know, you would recognize him if you saw him. He from shows waiting up for Guffman. Kind of, from waiting for Guffman, but he's also just no. like for every, for anybody else who's just a casual movie watcher, you'd be, and be like, 
I know that guy. I've seen him before. Uh, he was, he was also, just one of those guys. He was also on, I want to say the Jeffersons. I want to say he was a regular, I think, on the Jeffersons or on good. Yeah. Um, on the Jeffersons. Mm. Oh, he was the number painter on Sesame Street. Oh, there you go. See, people would probably recognize him from that. So uh, another uh, cast member that I, of course, want to shout out is Judith Lowry, who plays this woman named uh, Odie, who <laughs> is absolutely hilarious. She is, uh, you know, she's this elderly woman who uh, seems to have just discovered the word bullshit and uses it liberally in all different <laughs> ways. Yes. Uh, yeah, she's she's so fun. We have Bernard Hughes as Dr. Proctor. Which I uh, I I love that Dr. Proctor is you know, possibly the uh, the citizen of Eagle Rock who is the hardest to prevent from smoking. Ironically, of course, of course, yes, and uh, because he claims that smoking calms his nerves when he's needing to perform <laughs> surgery or something. Oh, so funny! There, I mean, the whole the whole cast is absolutely hilarious. We mentioned Jean Stapleton. Uh, she's you know this woman who uh, you know lives in the town and is quitting smoking and uh, resorting to eating strange combinations of food as a result. Oh, yeah. And oh my god, she's so funny. And Dan, uh, it, for anybody who listens to this podcast regularly within the past year, would know how much I love the show Murder She Wrote. Uh, I'm currently going through from the beginning. I'm in season five right now. Now, Dan. Did you know that Gene Stapleton turned down the role of J.B. Fletcher? No. She did. She was offered the role that went to Angela Lansbury, but uh, she didn't think that it was going to be good for her because she had she was coming off of another like long run on a television series. Right. And uh, uh, she... Uh, wanted to have more liberty with like playing with the scripts and things like that. And it wasn't going to offer her those types of things. This is coming from an interview from her. And then, you know, she went on, she goes on to say like, and Angela was just kind of like waiting, you know, she had been on stage for such a long time. We of course know that she was in films such as Gaslight in the forties <laughs> and then blue Hawaii in 61. And you know, Bed she just, she really, or- Bed knobs yeah. and broomsticks, and she really wanted to make a you know big break on television. And uh, Gene Stapleton goes on to say, and it's just like, and of course she's perfect in that role. Yeah, and she totally kills it. And you know, nobody is ever going to argue with Gene Stapleton's uh, point there. So I thought that that was a really funny little factoid uh, about Gene Stapleton and Murder She Wrote. Um, but yeah, no, the the entire cast of this movie is so good. Pippa Scott, who plays Dick Van Dyke's wife in the movie, yes. is is fantastic. You know, she is constantly being talked over and not given opportunities to speak her mind. And uh, when she does, she uh quotes scripture to uh to the reverend uh-huh. and he goes like you're using my words against me. And she's like, they're the Bible's words. They're, they're God's <laughs> words. Uh, it's so funny. She's so good. And she does such great like face acting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because she's not given the opportunity to speak that much. So, you know, the, the, her physical uh, humor works so well in this. Oh, absolutely. Agreed. It is a, uh, she gives a great performance. You know who else I really enjoy in this? Uh, Oh, uh, what's her name? Barbara Case. Barbara Kaysen, I want to say is how you pronounce it. She plays okay. Letitia Hornsby, who's mm. like the town busybody, the the Karen, if oh, you will. She's great. She's fantastic. So funny. She made me think of Cloris Leachman. In fact, speaking of yeah. uh, people from Iowa. People but, from Iowa, yeah. Yeah. And uh, did we talk about Vincent Gardania? We did not talk about Vincent Gardania yet as the mayor. No, that's the mayor. Yeah. Mayor uh, Quincy Wappler. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so it's great. Uh, I feel like everybody's so funny in it. We have, uh, you know, it, when I started the show, we mentioned the Christopher Mott Society. That is a group in the town that essentially is just... Uh, they're they're like the libertarian group. They're like, uh, 
they're just against regulations. Well, they were like uh, apparently a thinly veiled version of a very right wing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like kind of like libertarian, but also like bordering on fascist. <laughs> they're like all very conservative right. well, and anti-communist. Yeah, so, they're very M- McCarthy. Senator yeah, and, and McCarthy. actually, yeah. And so they are, they're actually anti-smoking, but they're against, initially they are against the idea of, you know, going for this money because it goes against all the things they believe in. But the Reverend convinces them to do it because the, the leader of the group could then be, they could be put in charge. They were kind of deputized as the enforcers, the non-smoking enforcers. And I forget the, the name of the of the guy who's in charge of the group, but they're, they're like a, he's, the mini Gestapo. Exactly. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they do checks with all the cars. And uh, Odie, the the old woman, she's a yeah. member of the group, and she she's she's I'd say the Mrs. Feldman if we wanted to put it in police academy four oh. terms of the uh, of the Christopher Mott Society. You know, she um, she wants Definitely. to pack heat. She's uh, she just wants to get into the action. That's a bullshit. And, uh, You're a bullshit. <laughs> that's a bullshit. Yeah. So what's also peculiar about this is that we have uh, Bob Newhart's character who goes around town with a cigarette. You know, it's a cigarette lighter that's shaped like a pistol, which is such an, an odd choice. I I suppose it helps him get closer into people's faces. And not not, by the way, in the style, because I know what you're thinking uh, inner space, of course, the the dream well, that Jack Potter has with the little, uh, you know, the the tiny little pistol. This is like yeah. a. It's got like a long. It's very narrow barrel. It's like a long narrow barrel. Yeah, but it is the same style of pistol that the head of the Christopher Mott Society holds. Um, that of course leads to a kerfuffle uh, at the end, and uh. I I really don't want to like spoil what happens in the movie, but it almost feels like I I'm I'm so desperate to talk about a few of the things that end up happening. Um, I mean, okay, skip ahead a few minutes if you don't want to hear any spoilers. How about that? Yeah. Okay. So as they get down to the wire, when it come when it's like just about to hit the one month mark, everybody's there. You know, the town has at this point become. A like a carnival essentially. It's a tourist attraction, and we have the like the heads of the the tobacco company and everything, and and the that marketing guy Merwin, mm-hmm. and they're trying to get it to stop. And Merwin is just like, "Don't worry, I've got it." He's got somebody that's in like the clock tower who is setting the clock forward, but also has a helicopter that is going to release cigarettes, going to rain down cigarettes on everybody. And uh, of course they figure out like, that's not the real time. And they kind of get into this whole brawl and uh, mayhem happens. But the point that I want to get to then is that once they achieve this goal, they are visited by none other than president Richard Nixon. And it's done in the most hilarious way. It's clearly somebody who's, you know, meant not to be very in focus and just covered. They're probably wearing a Nixon mask. They are like almost mask. definitely wearing yeah. a Nixon mask. <laughs> yeah, but all you yes. really see are like the vaguely the top of the head, but the telltale, you know, waving arms in the air. Um, and, you know, you just see all of the like, you know, Secret Service all around him and everything. And uh, he makes an announcement by way of was it a blimp? That's uh, yeah, yeah. There's like the a Goodyear blimp, blimp that has like it's the Goodyear blimp that's above them, and it has words saying that uh, Eagle Rock is going to is is officially the site of the next uh, like missile plant, and you know uh, of course this just means you know money coming into the town and uh you know businesses will you know thrive and there will be people coming in and out and you know more population and things like that and you know we close the movie seeing the results of this which are these four 
smokestacks that look like giant cigarettes pumping yeah. this black smoke into the air. Yeah. And uh, it's just beautiful. It's the it's a perfect ending. It really is. Uh, I was joking. If this was like 10 years later, it would have been a nuclear power plant at the end. Uh, right. And it, yeah, I, I really appreciated how uh, how the ending really just went for it. And mm-hmm. did, I mean, just down to the shooting, it was much more than I expected. Yeah. And and in a, in a good way. In a good way, yeah. because it would have been wrong for the film to let up at that point. Right. And having. Yeah. And, but it also brings it full circle because the movie starts showing how the film or how Eagle Rock was the site of. A, of was it was an Air Force base or Air, Air Force base. Yeah. Yeah. An Air Force base that had been since shut down and. Mm-hmm. It played into, and of course, and it was shot in, I want to say, 1969. Correct. And it was just kept to the, it, it was shelved, uh, I think. Right. I think until All in the Family was successful, perhaps. Correct. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, it, and I, I think that would have, I think had it been released early, I think it would have done better especially because mm-hmm. it would have come like hot on the heels of the producers in 1968, which is similarly, right. you know, no holds barred satire. Right. Uh, it's taking on some really difficult subject matter. I, I do. I thought that like bringing it full circle and saying like, all right, well, the government's going to put money into it again. It really showed. And it's like, oh, they're pouring the, the cigarettes and everything. And it's like, oh, things are just going to go like full circle it's going to be a cycle yeah oh yeah yeah i i felt like there wasn't anything about it and i know that you said that there are parts of it that maybe don't age well or that don't maybe feel right for the, the times now um and that and and i'd like you to you know go into that a little bit more but for me personally i watched it and i was like this could work you could replace cigarettes with something else you could you know uh you know you could make the power plant some or the uh the missile factory something else and yeah i you know the idea of a small town having to uh give something up for the greater good of the town i think is a really awesome framework for a story and uh, i because they had the right people in place uh, the right actors and of course Norman Lear mm-hmm. it makes this it makes it all sing you know uh Dick Van Dyke who's so charismatic and fun to have him as the reverend to to have the entire supporting cast including Bob Newhart you know playing all to their strengths right I feel like this movie just you know when you think like all right well how are they going to sustain the whole idea of uh, they can't smoke for 30 days. How do you sustain that for a whole movie? And they find ways to do it. And they, oh. you know, they play with the, you know, the structure of the town and how things become politicized. And because uh, Reverend Brooks is a clergyman, uh, you know, there's there's the whole idea of faith and the reasons why you're doing things that go into it. And I I really loved that that was kind of how Dick Van Dyke was in there because they could have easily just made him like the mayor or like a council member and it wouldn't have had as much of an impact. Well, and a couple of things not to be in terms of of motivation are, uh, first of all, his motivation to get a better assignment and move into like a bigger, like, like Dearborn or something where he wants to like something like that. Michigan. I don't know. That sounds somebody's heard of, but also the pitch of, uh, the Bob Newhart character to this like old, like tobacco company president who's going to die. And they're talking about legacy. Yeah. And played by Woodrow Parfrey. Uh, uh, played by Edward Everett Horton. Oh, plays I'm Hiram, looking at a different tobacco executive. Hiram Grayson. Yeah. Okay. Uh, tobacco who, executives. We have Walter, Sandy, Woodfro, Panfrey, and oh yeah, Hiram Grayson is played by Edward Everett Horton. Yeah. 
Uh, and the whole thing, the whole deal is like, this is what you'll be remembered for. Like people don't remember that Alfred Nobel invented explosives and was yeah. responsible for like millions of deaths. They were, they think of it because he took all that money and created the Nobel Peace Prize. So that's what his name is attached to. So like, think of it this way. Like you could be like, hey, I recognize the dangers of smoking and I'm going to offer this to any town that that can stop. Like, I'm going to encourage people to stop smoking. But also, the, you know, that it's a foregone conclusion that it's like, no, there's no town in America that could get entirely give up smoking for for 30 days. You'll be remembered for making the making the offer, making the pledge. Right. And yeah, it's like trying to make things do right. This? Yeah. And also, I feel like using uh, that information about Nobel to uh, manipulate or to to kind of pitch this idea. I mean, first of all, you know, I've worked in marketing and it's like, oh, my God, this would if you put this framework in front of somebody else now at, you know, Amazon or something, they would do the same thing. Like they would <laughs> absolutely fall for that, you know, idea of just like. Oh, you know, instead of being known for unfair working conditions and, uh, you know, these these centers where you find bottles of urine and stuff outside, you'll be remembered for this prize that you that you created and things <laughs> like that. So good. I mean, tobacco is a perfect example because there's no benefits to it. Uh, there's there's nothing that does good for anybody but uh, the people who are making money from it. So what is it? Anyone who can anyone who can like work or like deliver packages for like a month straight without taking, you know, without taking more than like an hour break to sleep, uh, gets oh, like a paid retirement. And like, yeah. Oh, is that the modern day equivalent? Is that what we're pitching now? Uh, that was not where I was going to go, but, yeah. uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't, yeah. uh, or I don't know if we're, if we're there yeah I, I want to also comment i think part of the reason why they're able to sustain a movie about like the 30 days is because first it it they have the whole first act is before the the month right. even starts uh yeah. which Getting is the pledges which is great because it also introduces you to the characters and sets it up for like uh-oh when they stop smoking what's going to happen because right Yes, when one stops smoking, especially when one quits cold turkey, it, yeah, you're you're chemically changing your body, and your right. emotions are going to react. And also, uh, you know, you you meant you gave a shout out before to uh, Tom Poston, who's uh, Edgar Stopworth. <laughs> so his character is somebody who's he's such a big time drunk who gives this amazing performance, this one scene where he's saying like, <laughs> I, I can't not smoke when I drink. It's just not possible. So the solution is for him to just leave town for a month. Which I and, love. Uh, it's, I yeah, love it yeah. because, because it cuts off the question of like, well, why doesn't anyone just leave? <laughs> yeah, that guy does. And of course, when he comes back, he's, you know, part of the kerfuffle at the end of the 30 days. And it's so good because then you see him again and you're just like, oh, yeah, that guy. Of I'm so course. happy to see that guy again. Oh, no, he's there. It's going to be bad. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it's absolutely fantastic. And one of the things that this movie also needs to be remembered by is the fact that it is quite possibly the first ever on-screen fart in cinematic history. Yes. Uh, uh, it's possibly. frequently attributed to Blazing Saddles, but that's a few years later. And this is, you know, there's it's just like the first fart joke, maybe. Right. But, and it's and yeah. it's uh, by it's Edward Everett Horton, who I, I doubt actually supplied the fart, but no. uh, who, but who died the, <laughs> right before the film right, came out. But, oh, did he really? Yeah. Well... Then he had no opportunity to deny it, in which case he would have supplied it. Oh, we'll never know. But it also wasn't silent, so it couldn't have been fault for him passing. No, no, no. There was enough time between the statute of limitations on the fart had passed. So Amen. we're all we're all good. Yes. 
uh <laughs> legally yes no legally the the fart yeah, is in the clear not couple it's 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 cleared it has it's it's yeah. been cleared it is clear um, it's left the room it's aired out oh yeah uh another uh so another couple of performances that i love and i don't have the actor's name he's mm. in one scene and oh wait hold on uh it is possibly jack grimes as the TV okay. stage manager, when they're like oh, doing the so broadcast, good. Harry Harry Shearer, it would like it would it yeah. had the film been made twenty years later, twenty to like fifty years later, Harry Shearer hands down. But he's the way that he's managing everyone. He's like, okay, Rev, let's get you to stand to the side. Let's get a really smile. Come on, you're getting everybody. Let's feel the spirit. And it's like, and it's not meant to be a show. It's an actual church right. service. So right, there's a church service, and because this is the beginning of the 30 days of no smoking, it's you know being televised and everything. And uh, Brooks has been told that there's not going to be any interference. They're just going to kind of be a fly on the wall. But instead, of course, it's just like a big production. But, you know, Jack Grimes, uh, who he reminded me of, at least uh, physically, uh-huh. and I kind of loved this, was um, he looked like a little bit of an older Skyler, is it Gizondo, uh, who's oh. in everything lately. I mean, the Righteous Gemstones being one of them, which made me so happy that it was in a church. Gizondo. Gizondo, I think that's, I mean. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, who I absolutely love. I think yeah. that he's so funny. Anytime that he, I mean, he's so great in in Booksmart. I'm actually curious to see this movie, Feast of the Seven Fishes, that's on, I think, Netflix or one of the streamers. He was on Santa Clarita Diet with our yep. homeboy, Timothy Oliphant. Uh, Timmy O. He's, he's so in, funny. And in that uh, Alien yeah, series, like, by the way. <laughs> That Timothy Oliphant is oh, going to yeah. be a part of. Yeah. That oh, I'm so excited. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, you're right. I mean, Harry Shearer would have definitely been the TV stage manager. And I would like to have had a, like, Skylar Gizondo kind of being his, like, you know, assistant or something. You know? Like, yeah. You yeah. blend the two of them together and you get this, uh, and you get Jack Grimes as but the stage manager. Great, great performances. Um, more of just the blunt satire is when the Christopher Mott Society can't handle like policing everyone. So they bring in the Sons of the Confederacy for backup. So you have like the oh, Nazis yeah. and the Confederates God. battling for power. <laughs> and ridiculous. Yep. No holding back. And of, of course, uh, you have uh, the. Uh, OD with you know they're, they're bullshits <laughs> they're bullshits yeah, yeah. Um, so funny I I really enjoyed it I um, you know there the one thing that we didn't talk about I'm sure there's plenty of things we didn't talk about but we didn't talk about you know how there's the you know this group of teenage protesters which anytime I see a group of protesters it's it's almost just like a okay what are they what's their message here and uh, I, you know, it's like you understand where they're coming from. And I think that as as people, I think, who are liberally minded, we assume that, you know, when there's a protest like that happening. I mean, of course, there's a lot of different types of protest. Mm-hmm. There are ones that we certainly don't agree with. But, uh, you know, especially when it's like teenage, like hippies or something, especially at that time, it's just like, you know, they're, they probably of you know just recently were protesting the war in vietnam and uh now it's like this is the next thing that's you know on their minds doesn't one of them more and, or less uh, say that <laughs> or am i, just, I you know what i don't remember did i maybe think that i don't know uh but yeah uh, yeah it feels like at some at, at a certain point they're just like yep yeah, no this is just we have to keep doing what we do so we, this is our new cause yeah yeah no absolutely and you know and and of course the reverend takes all that to heart and it it adds to his conflict about the entire situation. And I don't know, it's, uh, I feel like it's a, uh, a movie that deserves to be revisited and uh, I don't know, uh, given its proper due, especially, you know, in respect to the late great Norman Lear. Oh yeah, absolutely. As people are revisiting his work. 
Oh, a- absolutely. And this is, uh, at, at least as of last week, was streaming on Prime Video. You know, when, like John said earlier, when we decided to do this film, Norman Lear was still, and we were like, you know, fingers crossed, you know, we're, we're like, uh, of course, you know, Norman Lear, Dick Van Dyke, uh, you know, Mel Brooks, we're, we're so, you know, grateful that to still have them absolutely with us mostly so that they can continue to hear their praises sung. And because of course they've, you know, lived full lives. Um, sure. Although and, Dick Van Dyke is still please, out there tap dancing on balconies. So absolutely. And you know, for so many people, it's unfortunate how they are only, shown appreciation after they pass and i you know dick van dyke is certainly somebody who bucks that trend norman lear is somebody who continuously has been getting you know the 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 due credit for his work but not something you want to add well but not for this film and not for this film no no this film does not get mentioned I think I feel like this Correct. film gets brushed under the carpet and I don't think that's fair to Norman Lear or to this film or to I mean really yeah. any of the people in it the the good city of Greenfield Iowa where it was filmed yeah and I will say I mean I have read interviews with Norman Lear where this movie does come up and he speaks so highly of his experience uh making the film and also just of Iowa in general and he you know, really said that he loved the time that he spent there. And anytime he'd go back, I believe that they premiered the movie in Iowa and he was happy. I, I kind of, I love that when, you know, a movie is, you know, takes place somewhere outside of uh, New York or LA and yeah. they, you know, give the, the location, the respect that it deserves by, you know, bringing in some uh, maybe tourism money for people who are attending a premiere, something like that. A little glitz and glamour, a little give back to the city. Yeah, absolutely. And I I don't know. I'm just going to go ahead and and tell you what I think should be done with this movie. I think it should be uh, maybe remastered and given a a, a re-release. I'd also love to have... uh, you know, new commentary tracks by people. I mean, hey, let me refresh this page, but Dick Van Dyke is still with us. And uh, I'd love to hear his his thoughts on it uh, in, in a commentary track. And also talk to people like uh, Rob Reiner, people who are still with us, who are from the the Norman Lear uh, universe. I mean, Chris Elliott. What, I mean, what, what was Chris Elliott sure, Chris witness Elliott. to? I don't know how old he would have been in 1970, but old enough to be aware of what his father did and yeah. possibly, I don't know, spend some time on set. Who knows? Yeah. Right. Any, any, I feel like, yeah, any connections that you could get to this film, like a Rob Reiner or. I mean, Bob Newhart, maybe. Yeah, uh, he's he's still with us. He's 94. Uh, I don't know what he's been up to lately. I feel like I saw him maybe do some sort of interview or there was some sort of video that he was part of recently. Um, so, so, John, I got to I got to just break in here because, you know, we sorry. As far as I know, everyone's still alive. But uh, OK, OK, we did I was not, just about to refresh the page. We did not once mention that the music for this film was composed oh. by Randy Newman. The first ever s- film score by Randy Newman. Yeah. So uh, yeah. significant because the man, you know, we, we would go on to uh, to write scores for so many. <laughs> so much. Yeah. Amazing movies, not just uh, Toy Story. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, I think that also getting to hear from uh, Randy Newman would be cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Randy still with us. So yeah, it is. Uh, it's a fun movie. Uh, sorry, anything else to add to the? Uh, no, I, your... I think I just think that it it should be uh, put up on a, a pedestal a little bit more. Maybe uh, hear from people who were perhaps influenced by the film. Um, Criterion, are you listening? Yeah, and and perhaps some uh, marketing executives out there. Love to hear hear your thoughts on this. Oh, yeah, that would be so cool. 
Um, yeah, no, I just I I feel like Criterion has been so good at adding so many. Of course, I could see this being like a, a shout entertainment uh, Blu-ray or Arrow. Yeah, Vinegar Syndrome. There are a lot of really yeah. cool, more independent distributors uh, for physical media. And, for a lot uh, of underground, a lot of like lesser yeah. known films, but Criterion mm-hmm. as well. I, I recently picked up the Criterion edition of one of my all time favorites, La Bamba. So, oh, cool. I am. Was that recently added to Criterion? Oh, it collection? sure was. Yeah. 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 I was really excited because I didn't have like a Blu ray of that movie. And so I'm, I'm, I'm psyched to have that. But anyway, back to Cold Turkey. So, okay. Yeah. What would you do? First of all, uh, definitely for the like remastered, let's make this film more available. Let's see it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that when you, again, uh, uh, if Criterion were to add it, having the Criterion channel do a uh, satire, you know, feature and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of seeing this and seeing films like it connects to, uh, uh you know, aside from what we've already mentioned, uh, you could go back to uh, "Thank You for Smoking" is one that connects a hundred percent thematically. Um, yeah, a, a solid satire. That sounds like a that sounds like a new Beverly Cinema double feature right there. Right, right, yeah. I mean, it would be fun to just see like a whole retrospective of of great satire. So mm-hmm. I would love to see Cold Turkey involved with one of those. Also, as we were talking about it and and talking about kind of the cycle, I was like, and and I'm thinking about the kind of economics of the last twenty years, and mm-hmm. thinking especially, you know, the uh, the two thousand eight recession, and thinking about how a lot of towns like this went through similar problems. Using, I mean, watch no watch Nomadland. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so kind of, but maybe like you could revisit Eagle Rock, except that, you know, it, you'd kind of be making a sequel that you'd have to make not as a sequel, but as like a sequel, mm-hmm. like almost like an Evil Dead 2, where it's a sequel, but also a remake. <laughs> Mm-hmm. because yeah. uh, so many people hadn't seen the first one. So, uh, and yeah, like we were talking about before, like what could, what else could you, what else could you do? And I thought about that and the one, like my top three were the internet. Uh, so then you'd call it yeah. off the grid and where it's just like, okay, this, the people in this town are not going to be able to uh, leave it and they have to go internet free uh, I was also like, what else could work? Gasoline would be an interesting one. Well, that'd be an interesting one for sure. Uh, you know, starring Ed Bagley Jr. Uh, and, you know, it's like all the people who are, you know, big advocates for electric vehicles. Right. Uh, not to not to uh, get a little uh, too blue on here, but you could also do one called No Nut November, <laughs> uh, you know, about a town that has to ban pornography or, you know, uh, any type of illicit behavior unless it's for the intention of creating a baby. Um, oh, that's that's dis, dystopic, I think. Um, oh, the well, the other one and the, the other one I had now, this is all this would be like kind of dark, but like. What about a town that has to give up antidepressants? Like pharmaceuticals or like just pharmaceuticals. That's that's like Battlefield Earth level Scientology propaganda since they're all anti, uh, um, you know, psychotherapy. Oh, right. Yeah. No, I was thinking of antidepressants. I was thinking of it more in like the corporate vein of like, just like, what are those big industries that are like, Oh, they're they're toxic and you know that and they're awful, but they're so powerful. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's where it was like the oil, um, uh, the Internet, less about the companies and more about just like the Internet itself. And mm-hmm. like what like what would happen if this town gave up the Internet and like what would be the sides of that? Like not just the yeah. oh, a few days without social media and people are happier. But also like, oh, shit, this happened and we didn't know. Yeah, I think that the dangers of doing something like gasoline would be that after the end of the month, 
Uh, well, it's it is tricky because it's not something that people have like a chemical dependency on in right. the same way where you see the like the effects of it where they have to like change their behaviors. Um, whereas something like the internet would have that type of effect. Right. People start reading books, physical books. And I, I feel like the, I feel, and I also feel like that kind of, I, I think that you could work in the antidepressant thing with that because you mm. might have people who are like, maybe they don't need their antidepressants anymore. <laughs> or they're like, well, yeah, I, that, I that one you're, you're walking on the razor's edge. Yeah. For sure. I, don't, I mean, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I'm trying to because I, it just feel it feels like like that industry, the pharmaceutical industry, like I would love to see a film of this style right. or of I'd love to, like they need to be taken down by someone like not Michael Moore in a documentary. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, what's so challenging about pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical in, uh, um, industry is that, you know, for some people, they are they rely on right. some people legitimately. Right, whereas yeah. nobody legitimately otherwise needs, it'd be like, yeah, nobody legitimately needs cigarettes. Right. So right, and that's I guess that's where the internet could right come into play. Yeah, I mean there would definitely be some technicalities to work out, especially because like we've become so dependent on it, and I mean maybe the world runs on it. Yeah, yeah, uh, it it it's become a like human right to just to have internet access. So oh yeah. It's it's kind of like, have we gone too far? Do you set it in the past? Um, so that so I so there's that there's that idea and the, like the idea mm -hmm. of kind of like using something else. And then also uh, this would make a fun musical and musical, it would make a fun musical. musical theater true. is a place where absurdity is the norm. So, yeah, like all of the most absurd things about this like imagine an Odie song where she's just calling everything a bullshit and it's a whole musical yeah. number that's a bullshit you're a bullshit well, i'm a bullshit she's a bullshit he's yeah. a bullshit <laughs> i right and clearly dancing you know, cigarettes from like <laughs> as we've seen from from mel brooks and like the producers uh, yeah. or from john waters and hairspray uh you know it's Book like these people who are you know book of mormon people were making these satirical uh well book of mormon started out as you know it's a, just a musical but uh for the others they started out as movies going uh, on yeah. to yeah uh to musicals and yeah. uh, it, it works so flawlessly that of course they then make the producers the movie the musical the movie we you know it's like the the, the movie based on the musical based on the movie um Right, it doesn't matter. It still it still existed, but it, you know, it's like um there there's some desire to continue on these well, these and hairspray here. the movie musical based on the musical based on the movie. And I thought hairspray the musical the film I thought was pretty good. Mm -hmm. I liked it. Yeah, I mean, it's also it's very well regarded. People generally very very much like it. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that there even was the original film Hairspray, the, the original John Waters. Well, and now you're going to have um, Mean Girls. Correct. And I'm really excited about it. It looks so good. And like I I trust the people behind it and the, the behind the scenes stuff I've seen from it, I uh, I think looks great. Yeah, that's coming soon. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it's been almost 20 years since the original Mean Girls, which is yeah. bizarre. It's to wild. Say. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. So wild. So, uh, no, I, I like the idea of a musical. I think that'd be I think that'd be a lot of fun. If you have ideas, our dear listeners, on what you would do with Cold Turkey, please email us, ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Check out the uh, links in our episode description for a link tree. You can buy some cool merch, any last minute holiday things. We've got some fun stuff for you. And um, yeah, we'd just love to hear from you. Uh, Dan, would you like to let everyone know what we're doing on our Kansas episode? <laughs> on our Kansas episode, of course, when it's Kansas, there's no place like home. We're doing Wizard of Oz, 1939. Victor Fleming starring Judy yeah. Garland, Burt Lahr. You know it. Yeah. You, so you don't Ray have to tell you about Yeah, it. it's it's the Wizard of Oz. You've heard of it. You're familiar with it. And But if we're covering movies from states and we get to Kansas, 
you know, what else are we really going to cover? The Matt Dillon in Cold film? Blood. <laughs> oh, in sure. Cold Blood. Yeah, I don't Yeah, but I uh, you know, The Wizard of Oz, it's it's going to be great to get back to, you know, early cinema and uh, get to talk a little bit about that. I don't well, think that we're going to be saying anything groundbreaking, but you never know. Well, also this is a it's a podcast about prequels and sequels and remakes and reboots and how do you reimagine something and, what and how a, do you and what a legacy talk about had. a deep well that has been gone to so many times is the wizard of oz so we're i'm Absolutely. really curious to see what we can come up with here i've already been like i've been asking like just thinking about it and say ah like where where is the story that has not been told in the wizard of oz so looking forward to talking well, we'll about talk that. about that on our on our next episode that we should and uh and Dan, as you are flying your helicopter full of cigarettes to Eagle Rock, Iowa, I wish you a good journey. Good journey. Good journey.